I challenge you to a duel. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Movie Jewel podcast. My name is Peter and I am your host. On each episode of the Movie Jewel podcast, myself and my co-host pick a subject based around movies and then we each pick a film that we think best fits that subject. This time around I'll be joined by Tarquin, one of my Movie Jewelists, and we'll be discussing our choices for best workplace comedy. But before we get into that, just a few points of order for this episode. Uh, first of all, some thanks for reposts and retweets on our last episode to Paul from Filmbusters and to Jamie Russell. Thank you very much, guys. Um, and just to let you know the results of the poll on the last episode as well, which I was joined by Nicole, uh, and we discussed our choices for Humble Pie. Well, the episode was called Humble Pie about films that we avoided and ended up loving, uh, and that was a score draw, uh, 50-50 for Chud and for The Warriors. Uh, so thank you very much to those who voted in the poll. I would encourage you to head on over to Twitter and you can vote in the poll for this episode as well. Uh, and then just to let you know about how you can contact us here at Movie Jewel Podcast, uh, you can do so through uh, the social medias. So through Facebook, which we are at facebook.com forward slash Movie Jewel Podcast. You can drop us a message on there. Uh, you can drop us a message on x or twitter or whatever you want to call it um at movie jewel pod and we're also on instagram as well at the movie jewel podcast and then just a few notes about this episode uh, there will be spoilers for both of our choices um and a bit of strong language as well um so you have been warned about that and without further ado let's head on over to the main discussion let's go to work Okay, so welcome back to Tarquin. Tarquin, how are you today? Uh, very well. Fantastic. What have you been up to? Anything exciting recently? Um, Not really. Feeling a bit guilty about um, Russell Brand. Why is that? Well, you know, because I've had to join in on the public denunciation of him. And mm. I used to be a fan back in the day. Oh, really? Right. I see. Well, I'm not with you on that. I've never been a fan of him. I've always thought of him as a bit of a twat. <laughs> That does seem a very popular view at the moment. <laughs> but, you know, he was, he was a working-class icon in, in, at the time, you know, and it's nice to have somebody like that who wasn't just a football job or, um, you know, he tried to be erudite. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I just never... I'd never found him funny, to be honest. I just... Uh, it wasn't, he wasn't my cup of tea. Um and thankfully, I wasn't his cup of tea either, which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what about uh, you viewing? Have you, have you seen anything uh, new lately? Um, let's see. The, the last thing was um, Talk To Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, um, so when on the quiz, Vanessa said that um, she didn't think it was that scary. But And I kind of agree. It wasn't. There was only a moment or two that made me jump, but I, I really liked it. I, I liked the characters a lot, and um, mm. I thought the horror was really effective. Yeah, definitely. I saw that quite recently, and I thought it was very... Um, 
uh, very fresh. I won't say it was totally original, but it was very fresh. It felt quite, um, uh, it, it felt a little bit different and it did things in a different way. And it, it's like any good horror, it's got that sort of subtext to it. Um, and yeah, I thought there was a couple of moments, like you say, that, uh, that did sort of really hit the mark in terms of scares and things. And um, should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> I, th- I think it was um, had that had that kind of indie. It follows, yeah, like, feel to it, like half dream state. But, you know, yeah, nice. I managed to watch Barbie uh, this week. Uh, any good? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. Well, well written film. Um, it's it's definitely got a good few. Um, messages in there you know i think it's not totally you know a completely feminist film as you would possibly imagine from the reviews and things like that um i think it's there's enough in there to <clears throat> to sort of entertain everybody children and adults and men and women and um i thought it was a very good all-round film for definite a homogenized product please everyone <laughs> And very funny as well, you know, I think at its centre it's got to be funny. Um, you know, some of the stuff it's tackling is is a bit, is very deep, um, but it does it, you know, it, it strikes the right tone to make it entertaining. Um, I'm kind of going off Margot Robbie a bit. Um, of the three identical actresses, um, Emma Stone, Samara <laughs> Weaving and Margot Robbie, um, I find her the most um, over the top. Yeah, I think that's maybe down to some of her choices of roles. I think in te- is, um, is she just seemed to be be playing very similar characters lately. Histrionic, in your case. Yeah, 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 yeah. For definite. I mean, it wasn't good enough for me to you know to consider changing my uh, best film based on a toy line. It wouldn't go that far. Although it was very good, it's not as good as Masters Masters of the Universe. I'll leave you to that one. <laughs> I've seen any films based on toys. I'm like, really? toys when they, when they do toys. <laughs> okay, so uh, last time you were here, uh, we were discussing um, worst prequel um, of my choice of Exorcist the Beginning and, and your choice of Temple of Doom. Um, and as it went to the polls, it was a not unsurprising win for for me on that one. Curses! <laughs> damn the public! Damn them! <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that was last time. This time, however, uh, we threw the choice of subject back to yourself. Um, and what did you pick this time around, Tarquin? What did I pick? Um, best workplace comedy. So, um, why did you pick this? Is it is it a is sort of um, is it a, a favourite sort of genre of yours, or was it more based around the film that you wanted to talk about? The latter, very much. Um, yeah, it was just a string to get that that great film in. Fantastic. Well, um, because it was your sort of choice of subject, uh, it meant that I got first uh, choice of film. Um, so you know, I considered a few different films or a few sort of popped into my um thought process uh, when we was thinking about this um 
uh, Anchorman being one of them, uh, which is probably one of the only Will Ferrell films that uh, I actually enjoy, and he's not too irritating in. Um, uh, Big was another choice, although I sort of quickly put that aside because I don't think the story is necessarily based around the you know although a lot of it takes place in a workplace that's not really what the the film's about um but but I've woman with a little boy yes and it is reasonably problematic in 2023 for sure um but no I went for a film that uh up until a couple of years ago uh I had never sort of seen it was something I um kind of avoided uh, and that uh, is Clerks from 1994 Salsa Shark We're gonna need a bigger boat Throughout history they have been a part of our American life men and women who have made it their mission to serve their fellow man They've worked hard enough Isn't it time? They had their own movie Clerks job would be great if it wasn't for the fucking customers. I don't bother them and they don't bother me. I could do without the people in the video store. Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? You should hear the barrage of stupid questions I get. What do you mean there's no ice? You mean I gotta drink this coffee hot? You'd feel a hell of a lot better if you just rip into the occasional customer. You're a clerk paid to do a job. You can't just do anything you want while you're working. Convenience store, do you run here? Miramax Films presents. You think anybody can see us down here? Why? Do you want to have sex or something? <sighs> can we? Clerks, just because they serve you doesn't mean they like you. You hate people, but I love gatherings. Isn't it ironic? When? Why did you avoid it? Uh, because I'm not a big fan of Kevin Smith. I find him very pretentious. I have seen a handful of his films, and this and Dogma are two really sort of classic films, I think. But outside of that, um, I've never been drawn to watch a hell of a lot more. I didn't enjoy the the Jane Silent Bob films that they made, um, and a, a lot of his other stuff... Um, Mall rats um, uh, chasing aim is okay, but I, again, didn't really, didn't really float my boat. So he was not a director I was sort of drawn to, and he he, he appears a lot on documentaries about various different things. He's obviously a big comic book guy and stuff. So I don't know. I just find him just this sort of annoying sort of stoner who's got a very high opinion of himself, really. All very true, yep. Um, but yes, so Kevin Smith, directed by Kevin Smith, starring uh, Brian O'Halloran, uh, Jeff Anderson, Marilyn Gigliotti, uh, Lisa Spinauer, 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 uh, Jason Mewes, Kevin Smith, Scott Moiser, um, and, and Scott Moiser. Sorry, I've got a load of stuff written after that, so I thought there was another name there. 
Um, and this tells the story uh, of a day in the lives of two convenience clerks named Dante and Randall uh, as they annoy customers, discuss movies, and play hockey on the store roof. Um, so, as I say, I only saw this film a couple of years ago, um, but I think a reason, I, one of the reasons I really enjoyed it on first viewing was that um, I do like a, a good sort of independent guerrilla style film and this is definitely that i think it's um it's an incredible um first film um it's a very strong look to it and i think it's i think it is very very funny you know it, it made me laugh out loud this is the third time i've watched it and the rewatch for this um for this podcast and it really did make me laugh again um but yeah i think you know, it's 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 very sort of meat and potatoes filmmaking, um, and I'm always very fond of that. And I think it's it really shows through in this film. And when you sort of read up about it, or you hear, you know, uh, uh, a look at, at the making of and behind the scenes and stuff, you know, a lot of the choices, a lot of the aesthetic choices were made um, for budget. You know, the the whole fact of uh, the the shutters being stuck down because the uh, somebody put gum in the locks. Um, that decision was made to make the the lighting a lot easier to do inside the shop. Um, you know, this was filmed at the convenience store and, and the video store that Kevin Smith worked at. This was they, all the shoots were done at night when the uh, uh, the store was closed. And you know, he uses um, a lot of his his family and friends. I think there's only a couple of the cast that are, uh, are properly trained actors. Which you can tell, obviously, you know, it's. You can't sit and say that it's the best acted film in the world. Certainly not. Um, yeah, generally abysmal, I'd say, the quality. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, you know, I think it works in this kind of comedy as well. I think um, it, it it doesn't take too much away. It's not too distracting that, that, that those performances aren't, yeah, aren't I mean, the, fantastic. The star is the script, I mean, it's, and the ideas in the script, I think. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, he's, you know, he is a good writer, you know. I know I've maybe not been overly favourable about him, but he does, you know, he, he's he, he's generally good at what he does, Kevin Smith, you know, I'm not going to take that away from him at all. Um, and I think it, writing is, is definitely a, a really strong point for Kevin Smith. He brings, like, this kind of highfalutin um, philosophy student type uh, mentality to the blue collar world um, which kind of works yeah um, and I think it's you know it's it's very much full about the um, the characters you know it's very driven by um, the uh, the main characters in this in this film or whinging and navel gazing yes exactly well that's what, that's what works work life's all about isn't it it's, it's moaning it's you know it's generally what people do at work um but to, you know to kick us off we've got uh brian Halloran as as dante hicks who's probably one of the most unlikable leading characters in any film i've ever seen yeah what a what a shit oh he's you know he's just absolutely Windy. terrible yeah you know and i think it'd be easy to write it'd been easy to write a a more likable and a, a more um you know somebody you can you can get behind and somebody that you can sympathize with but he's just then it wouldn't work then 
really so relatable. Um, yeah, I can, yeah. I we can see ourselves in him. Yeah. Being a loser. You know, too scared to get the dog off his bed, so he sleeps in the cupboard. You know, <laughs> stuck in a relationship he doesn't really want to be in, and yeah, yeah, he's making the wrong decision all the way through the film. Absolutely, absolutely, um, and and I think it's a decent performance yeah, from Brian. Yeah, Brian well. yeah. yeah, and I think he, I think I he is believing. one of the, he's one of the, um, one of the people who actually has had. You know, acting experience before this, before this film, and um, and he really and, gets better in the in the sequels, which I know you haven't seen. Um, yeah, particularly number two. Yeah, cool. But I think he's based. So the character of Dante is is based on on Kevin Smith, um, and he's generally the sort of inspiration uh, for the the Dante character. He, you know, he has this just. Just this really, well, it's just so immature, such an immature sort of viewpoint of his relationship, especially with, um, uh, with Veronica, um, you know, the very sort of famous sort of section of this film where they're talking about uh, how many people they slept with, and he's he's shocked to, uh, she's shocked that he's he's slept with with twelve people, um, and then he's sort of quite cocky about the fact that she's only sort of slept with three people and he sort of he sort of throws that at her a little bit until obviously the revelation that um this she's uh, had an an entanglement with this guy uh that she calls snowball i won't go into the details of what uh what snow why he's called snowball but google it if you don't know um and the revelation that she's uh, she's you know performed fellatio on thirty seven men, yeah. including Dante. And at this point, he gets you know absolutely you know yeah. yeah exactly. And he's just talking to her like she's a piece of shit and she's a tramp and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, despite the fact that he's you know slept with more people than she has, and it's just he actually says, um, yeah, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter that he's slept with twelve people. What really yeah. matters is that she's, you know, and it's, it's so passive aggressive and nasty um, the way he goes at her. Yeah, like he, it, wants, he wants to end it, but he, he hasn't got the courage to do that, so he'll just use this to to, to barrage her. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it does lead to. The incredibly funny line of my girlfriend sucked thirty seven dicks to which a customer comments in a row. And, and one of my favourite bits is the is the when he, he goes out she goes out of the store and he goes after her and shouts and try not to suck any dick when while you're walking through the parking lot and the guy who stood outside just goes to follow her. <laughs> it's Get just back here. Yeah, just such a simple a simple little side gag, really. That's that, that's so effective, um, but yeah, he's just he's just horrible. Um, he just he doesn't seem to have any any morals, really. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's sort of flying his whinging about Crandall not turning up to um, open the video store at the right time. Mm. Uh, why does that matter? He has this massive go at the, um, the guy who was meant to bring balls to the hockey game. Yeah, he's just a series of whinges. Yeah, I mean he's he's 
Yeah, he just call he just calls out everything that that he does himself, or it is his fault. He's as as sort of da- um, Randall calls him out towards the end of the film for being a martyr, and that's exactly what he is during this film. You know, he's yeah. I mean, to be fair, um, the film does take him to task. You know, yeah, for definite, for, for definite. Randall I mean, really nail his character. It's it's very much based on or the it was loosely based on on the Divine Comedy by by Dante, who obviously uh, the main character was named named uh, named after. Obviously, the, the film sort of split into to nine parts. Yeah, are all those chapter headings like Circles of Hell? Are they taken from the Divine Comedy? I believe so. They certainly sound like it. I don't. I, I didn't. Some kind sort of fit, of, and then some don't. Yeah, so I don't know if it is just him sort of taking taking sort of liberties maybe i don't know i'm not uh i'm not up on my uh classic uh literature i'm afraid <laughs> uh but yes yeah, so moving on to uh to jeff anderson as 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 randall um this was his first the first sort of acting role i don't think he's done a great deal anyway other than the sequels um yeah, I mean, all his credits are basically Kevin Smith related. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's, you know, he, again, you can tell he's 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 not got a great deal of acting experience, but he do, he does the job. You know, I think he um, he has two or three sort of big bigish monologues in this film, uh, or bits that he's got to keep keep sort of moving. And um, you know, I think he it, the, the, the character of Randall starts off very unlikable and then as you sort of go through the film he he becomes a little bit more sort of moral you know he's, he's the what he you know he calls out um dante's behavior um and he you know he sort of tries to sort of set him straight on on how much of a dick he's being basically um you know he's not some big um you know He's not got a massive uh, moral compass because obviously some of his moments earlier in the film, um, in particular, reading out uh, a slew of um, porn film titles in the presence of a uh, looks about like a three-year-old child, yeah. is pretty pretty despicable. Just to well, get to te- the teasing um, Veronica about her um, blowjob exposing. Yeah, yeah. You should see Clerks too. Um, is he develops as a, a really magnificent bully in that um, torturing this poor um, dweebish guy is a Lord of the Rings film. The film is very unfair to the Lord of the Rings, and right. um, yeah, he's good in that. He, he gets better. I think he's he's a bit rubbish in this film, but um, <laughs> he comes across just as a real person, a real character from that from that area, and so he works on that basis. Yeah, but. I'm going to butcher this pronunciation again. Uh, Marilyn uh, G- Giglotti, G- uh, G- yeah, uh, the woman who plays Veronica. Um, I think she's one of the stronger performances in this film. Um, you know, she's she's introduced in quite a spectacular fashion. Just what with the fire extinguisher? Yeah, with the fire good. extinguisher, taking the fire extinguisher to the uh, to the the baying crowd who uh, are trying to. Um, uh, usurp the this uh, Dante for selling cigarettes. Um, the classic and, example of Dante not being able to exhibit any authority or any control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and uh, and she sort of quite easily sort of dispatches uh, this this mob crowd. Um, but you know, she's she's sort of she, she's a very sympathetic character. I think as the film goes on, because you do you do feel very sort of sorry for her, especially you know where where Dante's sort of calling her out uh, for um, the thirty seven blowjobs, um, and you know later on it's obvious that he's you know he doesn't want to be in this relationship and he'd rather be with with, with the Caitlin character, um, but. He still sort of strings strings her along, and yeah. then sort of he flip flops once um, you know certain events happen with uh, with the Caitlin character. Um, Do they? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah. You know, to to sort of you know touch touch on that, the Caitlin character, which is the you know quote unquote other woman in this film, um, who he you know he's. He's not necessarily thought about until he, you know, finds out that she's engaged, and then he's, you know, suddenly sort of um, obsessed with her. Yeah, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah, exactly. And then she turns up, and she sort of says that she wants to be with him. Um, at which point, you know, he's he's made the decision that he wants to end things with Veronica, and then uh, he meets Kate later on, who is who emerges from the bathroom. Um, talking about the great sex that her and Dante have just had in the toilet um, and it turns out that it's the uh, the largest older gentleman who uh, was asking for the soft toilet paper about halfway through the film and has passed away and she's uh, had rather wild sex with his corpse. You want soft toilet paper you go to the hotel, great boy as they say in the first one of Traveller's Chicken. <laughs> At which point, you know, she's had sex with a corpse, so he, uh, he, he, he doesn't really want to have anything to do with her. Yeah. Another classic, classic dad take. And then, obviously, by this point, um, Randall's effectively told uh, uh, Veronica that, you know, he doesn't want to, uh, that Dante don't want to be with her. Yeah. So she gets, you know, she gets that sort of, say, happy ending. But you know, she's she she's she does get a reasonably happy ending, and she's not sort of strung along any further. What? Because she told them to fuck off. Yeah, and hits them with her bag. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of a one-note shrew, um, all the way through the film, just you know, whinging and bossing him all the time. Um, not not a great actress, I thought. Um, but I did feel feel for her, yeah, just as the girlfriend that he's stringing along all the way through. Um, and then you've got, I mean, there's not really much to say about the silent Bob character. He does sort of get a, a one-line, and I think that... Well, a pivotal one-liner that changes Dante's mind, um... As yeah, fine-looking women in the world, most of them cheat on you, but not many of them bring you listen. No, this is very true. Um, but that was actually supposed to be um, the Jay character saying that, but he couldn't get it right, or he, he was too scared to say it because it was too poor Jay, or so, something like that. Poor old Jason Mewes, yeah. Um, uh, but he had to, you know, but you know, they had to change things sort of last minute, really. Um, but you know the Jay character is one of those. You know, even in the other films that I've seen, uh, 
Jane Silent Bob in. He, he's always the the more sort of entertaining parts of those films, specifically Dogma. He is incredible in Dogma. Yeah, Some no, of the, a, great, the, a great discovery of Kevin Smith. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you know, he does... It doesn't quite sort of go the lengths of of some of the later performances, um, but it, it's there. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the you know the the diner scene in in Dogma is just a, an absolute sight to behold. He never stops. But and he has yeah, sort yeah, of flourishes. Silent Bob got worse. I, I much prefer him in this film. Um, yeah, when he's more silent, stoic. Yeah, but he seems yeah. deep there. Um, Later on, he'll, he'll start making stupid uh, mind faces all the time. Um, he's too loud in his silence, I feel. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so Jason Jason Mewes, who who is effectively playing himself as well. You know, this is this is very much sort of pointed out in a lot of the um, uh, behind the scenes and the trivia for this film. He's 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 sort of just sort of letting you know. This is Kevin Smith writing things that. Jason Mew says in real, says in real life, yeah. um, and I think that's that's the same for most of the that script. Makes really, pleasing. in contrast to all the overwordy, yeah, that everyone else spits out. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's, everybody knows a Jay as well, or has known a Jay during their life. You know, somebody who just will not shut up or completely just blurts out what's what's in their head, in can't the help themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it. You know, it is a lot of the dialogue is very much over the top. But it comes across as very genuine, very sort of real. But you can also, because of how pretentious Kevin Smith is, you can imagine that that's how he and his a lot of his friends talk as well. You know, they're obviously quite for the mass vast majority the the well educated and um, and very well spoken. And you know that. Even the some of the more out there sort of you know parts of this film that you know talk about like the Death Star sort of monologue, uh, Death Star monologue, the Return of the Jedi monologue that that Randall sort of goes through, which is is very funny and it's not something that you you necessarily think about, um, but you can imagine Kevin Smith and his friends having them, those kind of conversations. Yeah, I mean that's um, that's where he really struck a chord with the public, just um, a serious examination of a local culture. Mm. which has had unfortunate uh, repercussions in our culture, I think, you know, perhaps we do bad stuff too seriously nowadays, but, you know, he started it. <laughs> There's been um, no examination of the Smurfs in Donnie Darko without Kevin Smith. No, that's true. Um, but it has, does have one or two sort of quite potent lines in here, you know, kidding about them, you know, being the, Liking to think that he's the master of his own destiny. Mm. Uh, sometimes you've got to let those hard-to-reach hard to chips go. Um, and for anybody who's worked in retail for as long as I have, uh, this job would be great if it wasn't for the customers. Which is absolutely right. Uh, I mean, wrong. You know, we love customers. That's the um, Jasper Carrot line. Um, one of his old routines uh, about going into a music shop and one of the staff goes, Oh no, not a bloody customer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and but I find you know uh, talking about the customers because this is you know they they set in a shop and you know there's various sort of bits with um, various different customers that they uh, uh, they have throughout throughout the day. 
Um, and uh, I must admit, on watching it this time, I did get a little bit of a lynching sort of vibe to this film. Um, the yeah, for sure. Yes, I. It was at that point, and I thought. But then, you know, some of the other characters, you know, you wouldn't necessarily see out of place within a, a David Lynch story. And you know, doing the research on this film and looking at the behind the scenes, it was very much um, the starting point actually for the for the script was that it was just going to be about two people working a shop and and just the story of the customers that were coming in and doing weird things, which. You know, it's not completely that. It's more about the, the people who are in, you know, running the stores. Um, but you can still see that that sort of backbone to the to the film. And yeah, you've got so you've got the Eggman, who's a guidance counselor. Yeah. Um, and you've got obviously the 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 gum company representative at the start, who's convincing everybody to. To stop uh, smoking, uh, and I think that the, the punchline there then, there then is that everybody who turned against smoke at the start comes back to the shop throughout the day and asks for a packet of cigarettes, or every customer asks for a packet of cigarettes, or something like that. Um, obviously, this guy, the old guy who dies in the toilet, um, asking for a specific toilet paper. Um, we get the the, the conversation about. Um, jizz moppers uh, and the guy who's complaining about that who actually is buying a spray and uh, and kitchen roll I think or something like that suggesting that he's uh, a jizz mopper himself and you've got my favourite Lee Benderlick who I think is the best actor in the film even though he's only done three films um, who's complaining about uh, Randall not turning up the old fella um, he's not, not turned up to open the shop yes Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's a very, very much a sort of Monty Python esque kind of sort of casting as well. Obviously, people, a lot of people may play uh, multiple roles. Um, Scott Moiser, who um, so bad, it's fucking awful that guy. Playing <laughs> the stoner, kind of wandering around with his beard. Yeah, who actually takes part in the only special effect in this film? He's he. he replies to himself from the from the top of the store to the bottom of the store. Yeah. And another yeah. shit actor is the um the jock um, who gives uh, yes. a hard time for um, Yeah, he was acting. apparent I think he was supposed to play Randall. He was the first choice for Randall till Jeff Anderson uh, auditioned. Um and you've also got uh, Walter Flanagan who um He was the Eggman, yeah, the guy with the Ken Dog teeth. Yeah, he has four or five roles in this film. Um, he's the jizz mopper as well, um, and uh, a couple of other uh, roles in the film. I think he's one of the um, people that they cut to when they're talking about the customers that they hate. But Caitlin was quite sexy. Yeah, I think she's... <laughs> yeah, I think she... Well, I mean... He's well. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to say in twenty twenty three and um, being a straight guy, but you wouldn't think that Dante would be that sort of attractive to to somebody like that. He's well, you know. Well, he's a, he's a massive dick, and he. 
I guess he's just a bit deeper. Um, prepared to talk things through on a, on a slightly deeper level than most uh, most guys. Possibly, possibly. But yeah, she's. I think she's she's quite good for the. She's very fleeting in the film. You know, she only appears in a couple of scenes, really, don't she? But yeah, she seems like her relationship is credible. Um, no. But I think it's, as far as the comedy goes in this film, it's it's one of those one of those comedies where you can you can watch it and watch it and keep picking bits up and you know keep returning to it and seeing something that you haven't seen before or hearing something that you haven't seen before or connecting things together um, that maybe weren't you know there on the first or second viewing. Yeah, the, the, shoe, the shoe thing was like that for me. I couldn't get that the first time. I realised it was a sign that he was, he was putting up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I like that. I think it's when you've got those those recurring gags, and there's two or three in this film, and um, they just keep popping up. It, it always makes for a good comedy. On the dad's um, side, I think um, I'm not sure about Caitlin's rape being um, played for comedy effect. Um, it's quite on. Oh. There's like some really crude. Um, musical cues that underline the gags seemed a bit like friends you know yeah mm. okay so it's not perfect um no i wouldn't say it's perfect no but i think it's it's still a very funny film um one of the high points that you mentioned uh you know the shoe polish is is dante being called a shoe polish smelling motherfucker which is quite an immortal line I think the guy made it up. Like yeah, just I think yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it was. I don't even think, from what I remember on the on the sort of commentary, uh, which is a very absurd commentary because they're just kicking Jason Muses falling asleep mm. under the influence, bullying him, bullying poor Jason. Yeah, yeah, they they talk about there's not actually too much improv in this and you you would maybe get the impression that there is but i think because of because a lot of the characters were written about sort of people that he knows and they were based on people that he knows and people that they know that it just it just sort of maybe not naturalistic is probably the right word but it just sort of came across because they knew what it was what, what who it was based on and what it was about um and i think his, Kevin Smith's writing generally probably does come across like that as well. Um, he said um, he, I think he said um, that he writes dialogue the way he wish he could speak. Yeah, uh, every thought is perfectly expressed. Um, but yeah, that's that's about all I've got to say about Clerks. I think. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add, Tarquin? Um, yeah, see Clerks too. It's much better, um, uh, and. I like uh, Chasing Amy and Dogma a lot as well. Um, and I think the first um, Jay and Silent Bob, the second one, shit. And um, <laughs> the most recent Clerks, um, not good. Very, it steeps heavily into the melodrama. Yeah, because isn't, isn't it about him finding out he's dying, uh, Randall finding out he's dying and he wants to make Clerks, basically? Yeah, that's that's the plot. Right. But yeah, I keep must admit, I keep sort of thinking. I think Clerks is current. Clerks three is currently on Prime, but I don't think two is. Yeah, shut out the free quid and rent it. It's, it's worth it. Okay. 
I'll have a look. Okay, uh, but yeah, we'll take a short break and then uh, we'll come back and discuss your choice. Let's get down to the worst music in the world. So welcome to the intermission. So this is the part of the podcast uh, where I give my co-host a random question, a question they've not prepared for, and get their honest first answer. To Tarquin, are you ready? Aye. Okay, so your question this time is, if you could dine or drink in any bar, fictional bar or restaurant from any movie, what would it be? Does it have to be a movie? Could it be a TV series? Go on then. All right. So, um, the restaurant at the end of the universe um, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy um, TV series. There's. Have you seen it? Long, long time ago. I can't remember much about it. It was when I was very young. So, like, it's the climax of the series. I think. Um, yeah, there's a restaurant where there's like a talking cow. Who, who wants you to eat it? Who actively um, tells you the best <laughs> best parts of his body to eat? And um, then this compare leads you through the creation of the universe and um, the end of the universe. It, the restaurant travels through time. Um, mm. Yeah, there. And I also like the look of the blue kind of hot dog things that the um, the workers in the Bogum construction fleet eat. Mm. Very hoopy food. <laughs> blue hot dogs. Because sure usually science fiction food looks disgusting, like on Star Trek The Next Generation. Red cabbage type stuff the Klingons <laughs> eat and worms. Yeah. And even Game of Thrones, which you think would be delicious, it's disgusting on the table. I'll tell you what I always used to think looked tasty in, in Star Trek, and I'm not going to be crude. Um, the, um, the flibbles. Is it flibbles? Flibbles? Tribbles. Tribbles, Tribbles. that's it. Yeah bit hairy no well yeah it just adds to the texture <laughs> give them a shave stick them on the bobby yeah you thought i was going to say diana troy then yeah <laughs> um but no i i mean i would pick um jack rabbit slims from pulp fiction because it just looks so cool i mean it probably have to be the night that vincent and uh and mia are, are there doing their uh doing their twist contest but it just looks so bizarre and you sort of... American diners in films always look... You know, they, they try and do them over here and they have these sort of themed American diners and all that. And it's never just... It's never the same. It's never the same. It's not right. Unless they get sort of American people working in them. It's you just it's just sort of, you know, there's a jukebox in the corner, but, you know, your waitress has got a brummy accent and it really sort of yeah. spoils the mood. It's still wimpies in the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, thank you very much, Tarquin, and we'll head back to the uh, main discussion. Okay, so um, 
let us know then, talking what, uh, what film did you pick? Well, first of all, did you have any other considerations, or was this your only one, and what did you pick? I'm, I'm kind of stumped to um, think of other workplace-related um, comedies. Um, the ones you chose sounded quite highfalutin, um, besides Clerks, and I, I think what I was looking for was more of a utilitarian um, film, like that kind of that low blue-collar milieu. Um, no, so it had to be this one. Okay. And what did you go for? Car Wash, 1976. They still do it by hand at Mr. B's. Morning, Mr. B's. Morning, Snapper. Only determination. Got the big three. Dedication. That a tough crew of men can get the job done. Stand and deliver, honey. They've got a sharp boss who always has control of the situation. They've got teamwork. Most of all, they get the will to work. I don't want you to leave here without realizing what I can do for your car. Like what? Take over the payments for me? <laughs> this is the wet and wild world of the car wash, a business a man can be proud of. I want to work with the men, Dad. Where the only rule is, do it with style. It's hard work, because sooner or later, everyone comes through here. Yeah, did you happen to see a big, tall, black, blonde chick? Big, big, red, red boots. Listen, I'd like to talk to someone and get some information about a social disease. Hey, brothers, I'm here to unite with you. Hey, baby, how you doing? Uh-huh, how Good, I'm glad to hear that. Between the washing and the cleaning, there's always room for dreaming that the next car through might be the answer to your prayers. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Well, praise this car, honey. Thank you, miss. <laughs> one thing is certain. When it comes to serving the public, these men will stop at nothing. George Carlin. Professor Irwin Corey. Ivan Dixon. Lorraine Gary, Jack Kehoe, the Pointer Sisters, Richard Pryor, they all come together at the fabulous, free-wheeling, soap-sudsin emporium where everything goes. Boy, there's been some weird people in here today. Car Wash. Okay, so I can give you a one-sentence synopsis. Um, a working day at the Deluxe Car Wash in downtown LA. That basically covers it. Just the, co the characters still work there and the people that come in. Um, and I'll give you a little history. At the high of the swinging 60s in an Italian restaurant on the Sunset Strip, two friends who hadn't seen each other for, since college happened to meet up. One was the movie producer, Art Linson, somewhat chastened by his first film becoming his first flop. The other was the biggest rock music publicist in Hollywood, Gary Stromberg. They had both been rather square and bookish at college, but now Gary was decked out in an African dashiki, his long hair flowing over many necklaces and flakes of cocaine drying on his moustache. Six months after resuming their friendship, Gary approached Art with an idea he had scribbled on a spoiled napkin, a musical that featured a working replica of a car wash on stage, with songs like N-Words and Juice Have the Rights to the Blues, I used to hate it till I ate it and hog wild about a guy who drives a caddy and washes cars with his body. He lavers up and rolls over them. They took it to Ned Tainum, then president of Universal, 
He said, a day in the life of a car wash set to music. That may be one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. I think you should make it into a movie. Art hurriedly agreed, and at Ned's suggestion, agreed to meet Joel Schumacher as a possible screenwriter. Joel was a client at Ned Wife's agency. Coming into the meeting with Art and Gary, Joel made a strong impression, dressed flamboyantly in a distressed leather jacket and wearing an unusual amount of Mexican jewellery. Art said he collided into the room. Joel said, I know what you're thinking, but I grew up under the chiclet sign in New York, and I know how to make this idea great. There is no one, I mean no one, who can do this better than me. They liked his enthusiasm as well as his affection and sympathy for the characters. Given the job, Joel's initial inspiration for the script came from watching a sex worker at a car wash. She was using a payphone with one hand and holding a beer can with the other. He realised that the car wash was the hub of the community, a place to socialise, kill time and hang out. African-American director Michael Schultz was chosen to direct. It was his second film after Cooley High. While initially reluctant, he acquiesced when given free reign to rewrite the script and make the dialogue more believable. With a budget of $2 million, the film made a reasonable profit of $14 million, recouping its costs on its opening weekend. Uh, yes. Fantastic. I mean, I that's the second time I've heard that um, mention of Cooley High, actually, in recently. Have you seen that film? I have. It's, it's great. Yeah, really recommend it. Um, yeah, it was it was on it was a podcast. I don't know if you ever heard it called um, uh, "Films to Be Buried with." Brett Goldstein um, presents it. Uh, the guy from Ted Lasso, um, and he had um, uh, Harold Perrineau, who was his oh, guest. Yeah, yeah. Michael from Lost. Yeah, and he was talking about because the the concept of the podcast is that they ask he asks certain. Uh, gives them certain things like. Let me guess where you're going to go here at the title. Films that he wants to be buried with. Well, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, uh, um, but it's it's more like you know films that made you cry and films that um, you, you think speak to you the most and all that sort of thing. And um, Harold Perrin mentioned uh, Cooley High a couple of times. No, that's uh, nice. Yeah, I love that actor. Brilliant actor. Mm, really good. So it's, that's, it's sort of on my radar at the minute, so I think I'm going to have to seek that out. Yeah, it's, it's great. If you want to see um, Jeffrey from Fresh Prince of Bella, the um, mm-hmm. the butler, um, play a young guy, just like, acting his ass off. Um, yeah. He's kind of a punk, but um, it's, it's a very believable like slice of life, just kids hanging around and getting into trouble. Very cool. Cool. So when did you first see this film? When do you, do you remember sort of seeing this? When I was about eight, I think. Yeah, um, an American friend... Um, recommended it to me we watched it together when it came on the tv and um yeah i just loved it since then loads of times so i've seen it because there's a couple of things that sort of struck me about this film the first thing being that it completely took me by surprise that this was a pg film beforehand sort of noticing that richard pry was in it but during the watching of this film and you know there's 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 sort of a couple of scenes of, of drug use um you know, some of the subject matter is, is a bit, um, uh, a bit risky. Yeah, um, like the prostitute hanging a douchebag over the sink. <laughs> yeah, um, and, uh, and a, a few uses of the N word as well, which, yeah, you know, I mean, I know obviously yeah, and the F word, if we can say that, and the yes, the F word, the uh, the other F word, um, yeah, is is thrown around a couple of times, so. It really shocked me at those points because, I mean, I know this was 1976, yeah. 
but it's still a classed as a PG in this country as well, which is 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 bizarre. Um, I think you don't you see you see a lot of films that get declassified, you know, classified lower or reclassified lower. Um, a lot of action films and horror films and things, but it's not very often you see them reclassified higher, which I think is something, you know, it's something for them to think about because you know, I wouldn't want to sit and watch this with my daughter. <laughs> you know, it's um, she's she? a she's only nine, so okay, yeah. but when she's thirteen, I think. Yeah, I think when you can. You know, but that's it. That that just means you know that just it could be reclassified as a twelve for definite. But yeah, I didn't really know what to expect from this film either because you know as as it sort of talked about in some of the the trivia and the um, the background of this film, you know, I was expecting it to be a a Richard Pryor vehicle. Um, you know, they and he was quite unhappy about it. I think Monty that they'd. You know, used him in a lot of the promotion for the film. Yeah, if you look at the poster, it's basically him and George Carlin. Yeah, already in it for about ten minutes total. Yeah, so I think you know the impression was that, and I had to watch it. I watched it over two nights because I'd had a really busy week. So the first night I'd only got about halfway through, and I really wasn't enjoying it. I was just not getting the film. I just didn't get. I'd not sort of laughed. Um, and I just it, it just didn't really sort of sit right with me. But then when I watched the second half of it the night after, it struck much more of a chord with me, you know, and it's not... It's very much a film about the real, very sort of mostly realistic lives of these guys that work at the, the car wash and these absolutely bananas people who, who come to the car wash, the customers. Um but it's again, you know, quite similar to to Clerks. Um, yeah, it's, it's on the side of the workers, and, and the, the, yeah. the customers are hyped up and ridiculous. And it's still got a very human side to the story. Yeah, because it takes them seriously. Yeah. Well, I fuck you. I love it. I think it's important. <laughs> Yeah, it's a vibe, you know. You just I, I put it on, and I'm I'm just really happy. I'm I'm transported to new um, Hollywood at that time in the seventies. But these people, yeah, these great people. Yeah, yeah, and I think it. But I think it is, you know, if if I'd not if I'd had that similar vibe with the second, you know, watching the end of it and watching it the second night, then I probably wouldn't have. I think you know after watching the film completely. It did make me want to to revisit it and sort of, I get you know, I think I, I would get more out of it. Like with watching Clerks again, you get more out of it. And yeah, you've got to have the patience what, to um, to just let it wash over you. Um, yeah, I think the studio was very keen that they um, hyped up the comedy, and so more of the social realism stuff was dropped from the script and and kind of features more heavily at the end. Like um, there's about five quite realistic bits about the character kind of all put together at the end so that gives a yeah. bit more depth and it, yeah I think that but I think that's that made it all the better and that made it a much better film yeah. and that uh, you know the end it should have been uh, staggered and balanced all the way through yeah yeah because they are you know despite the fact there's a lot of sort of japes between the, the guys who work in the car wash and stuff like that they're all very quite respectful of each other and there's a good camaraderie to them 
Um, you know, they're not apart from you know, obviously the guy who's this who's the sort of um revolutionary Abdullah. No, no, was, uh, the guy who's oh, he's uh, sort of the boss into yeah. the supervisor. Um, you know, they all they all sort of look out for each other and yeah, you you yeah, build your character of uh Abdullah. Abdullah Abdullah. 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 Um, My name is Abdullah. <laughs> he's just fantastic. Best performance in this film, yeah, I'd so say. Good, so good. And I think it was was it his first acting role? Oh, okay. I believe I'm pretty sure. Well, first feature film at least. I'm sure, I read that somewhere. But yeah, he's fantastic. But they, you really need him. I mean, yeah. In the, in his speech at the end, where he says, you know, sometimes I just come in here and I see this clown show and I can't take it. You know, otherwise you'd, you'd be having something close to a minstrel show, like making the guys look ridiculous and stuff. But he's he's real, you know. He's he's quite often wrong, but you know when he's right, you have to listen. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, I mean, it's 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 that. You know, he's we sort of. I don't think it's said outright, is it? But I think he's sort of led to believe that he's sort of fallen in with a, a sort of black black panther type. Yeah, group. he meets with some revolutionary who pulls up in a van across the road. Yeah, and you know he's he's obviously you know he's obviously a a, a guy that's that's converted to to Islam, yeah. and you know with the best will in the world, the guys are you know they're simply just not getting used to the fact that he's he's changed his name. They know him as yeah, they Dwayne. Keep, they keep dead naming him. My name is yeah. You know, and for the for the vast majority of the film, they're not doing it out of spite or to, you know, wind him up or anything. A lot, a lot of them are genuinely just not getting used to the fact that he's changed his name because. But there are two assholes, um, Floyd and Lloyd, these guys who are always practicing their dance steps and their yeah. routine and stuff, and they they tease him a bit like, "Oh, are you coming to get some uh, ribs? I don't eat <laughs> vodka. Don't eat slave food. Off the vote. Is ribs pork?" Yes, they yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were a little bit annoyed, to be fair. They, but again, I think that's supposed to be the point. They, they get at the banter, but yeah, they are kind of assholes. But you've also got you've also got a similar sort of um, trajectory with the with the Lonnie character as well. You know, they they sort of the two very sort of sympathetic characters. Yeah, so Lonnie's like an ex-con. Um, yeah, he was in prison for breaking open the head of a gas station attendant and he's he's trying really hard to go straight um he's got two kids and he's got ideas for the car lot he's he's kind of been given um the role of foreman and um yeah he tries to mentor Abdullah but Abdullah's always pushing back yeah until the end but this is this very sweet sort of conclusion to the film isn't there where he you know uh Abdullah comes back to rob the place. to basically rob the place yeah and finds you know uh Mr is it Mr Mr. B has has put Lonnie in charge of sort of cashing up and stuff. So he uh, he finds Lonnie instead of Mr. B, and and there's this very sort of sweet exchange, and and, and Lonnie sort of talks him around. Yeah. Um, Give me the gun; it'll be all right. We'll work it out. We'll yeah, work it out. yeah. So yeah, so I really enjoy I really enjoyed that um, that sort of humanistic side to it, and I think any any great comedy has has got to have that sort of realistic portrayal of people to a degree you know 
certainly some of the best have got that. And it, it made for a really interesting story as well. But you know, what about the hero then? Um, TC. <laughs> that afro is amazing. It's yeah. just fantastic. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I, f- I found him a little bit annoying. I think he's... But again, I guess that's his character. I don't think he... He comes across as a bit of a bit of a dweeb, really. Well, he's, he's he's another comic book guy. Um, he's he's got yeah. this idea for a comic strip, The Fly, um, that he's got paintings of in his locker. Um, he's obsessed with this waitress across the road, Mona, mm-hmm. who is completely gorgeous. And um, yeah, so he's he, but he's also kind of the hero. Um, like when the pop has a bomber uh, at loose in Los Angeles at that time. And um, TC heroically jumps on him. <laughs> All right, it doesn't turn out, turn out quite right. <laughs> it turns out to be a bottle yeah. of piss, but um, bottle know, of piss. He lays down his life for the people. It's, it's, it's true. Very, That's very true. That is very true. So um, um, people say, "Is he harassing Mona?" Because um, you know she, like her attitude all the way through the film is "fuck off." I don't want to know. Yeah. It's a big question. What do you say, Peter? I think he is. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't. I, I did find that that didn't quite hit the hit the mark for me. That um, that scene where he sort of stands up for himself and doesn't nobody um, take you like I do, Mona. Yeah, well, no, I thought it was good. I thought it was sweet and everything else, but I think it would have it would have still worked if after that. She'd have just told him to fuck off again, basically. Mm. I think that would have been a more comedic moment for definite. That would have broken my heart because <laughs> I'm totally into TC and and um, you know he he loves her and and I think that's what she realizes at the end that you know yeah his love is genuine and that counts for someone. I mean, I thought um, one of the best performances in this film was uh, Antonio Fargas. Mm. Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear, yeah. As Lindy, the gay character. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's because as far as I'm aware, he's not a, he's not a, you know, he's a straight guy, I think, in, in, you know, in real life. Brilliant Um, performance, yeah, he totally goes through it, yeah. But yeah, fantastic, you know, I mean, this is probably uh, where the writing of Joel Schumacher really sort of comes to the forefront uh, of this film, for definite, but He's he's really good. He's really funny. Really, you know, he doesn't take any shit from any of the the other guys. You know, the... Abdullah says, um, "Can't you see he's just a sorry looking faggot?" And so to use that word, and um, Lindy responds, "Who are you calling sorry looking?" You know, like he yeah. owns that word. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and, and then the famous line is, um, <laughs> "I'm more man than you'll ever be, and more woman than you'll ever get." Yeah, fantastic. And they're all, you know, again, apart from the Abdullah character, nobody else is, you know, nobody's bothered. Nobody's caught, you know, yeah. saying anything that's that's derogatory to 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 his character. Because um, he's a friend, he fits right in. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I think you get that with with all of them. You know, nobody's, you know, although there are quite a few utterances of the N word, you know, they're all they're not. But that's a that kind of way that um, African Americans can say it. You know? Yeah, brother, you, know, you are my N word. Yeah, we exactly. 
and they are all sort of they are all respectful of each other to a, you know to a degree other than the sort of japes and the and the sort of pranks that they play on each other but even you know most most of the white characters in the, in this film as well you know there's no although there is that you know you can look at it and say yeah it's it's a white guy who's running the uh the car wash and it's run by you know most of his work is a black kind of thing i don't think that that stands out massively in the film because mr mr b isn't you know a complete authoritarian to them you know he's he's yeah he's he's hidden in his office kind of boring yeah and when it really yeah. counts and like our daughter is going to knock his head off you know the workers step in pretty sharply yeah. and, and hold him back you know and protect us to be yeah um and then you've got is it martha no marcia the receptionist marcia the receptionist yes <laughs> you know there's a deleted scene so she's having an affair with mr b and, right but it's not so serious that she won't throw him off when this handsome dude comes in and um, asks her out. Mm-hmm. And so she's all excited and happy about that. Um, and then, I don't know what version you saw of it, but in the in the version that's going around now, um, she kind of goes off happily for a date. But there's a deleted scene where it turns out that it was a double date and the handsome guy has got a beautiful girlfriend and she's got some ugly week in the backseat who she's expected to go out with. <laughs> so, I like yeah, that. I'm a sad prophet. Yeah. So, what about some of the customers? Because I think that's you know the other half of this film is the more the out there sort of comedy of this of yeah. this film is it comes from the customers. You got like obviously um, uh, Richard Pryor who plays da- Daddy Rich. Daddy is it Rich. Daddy Rich? Yeah. The Church of the Divine Economic Spirituality. <laughs> yeah. It's Kajari, the, the Wilson sisters, played by the Poison sisters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a superb five minute cameo that he does. Yes. Definite. I mean he it's just I mean he, I think I read somewhere he can't remember making the film because he was he was so high on Coke, basically, at the point. And to be fair, you can tell from the performance he's gurning like hell in this film. Um but that, that it is the character, yeah. Oh, definitely. He's uh, yeah. It's 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 classic bit of Richard Pryor, really. To be fair, yeah. He didn't do many great films, but when when he turned up, he he really did some great stuff. Like Silver Streak, um, Stir Crazy, uh, yeah. Superman Three to a degree. <laughs> <laughs> it gave us office space. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got uh, see who else have you got? You've got the the mom and the son who's throwing up. Yeah, um, Miss Beverly Hills, Theos, Miss Beverly Hills, played by um, the wife from Jaws. Yes, Lorraine Gary. Yes, um, yeah, she's just a horrible snob who um, who's fretting and completely neurotic about some meeting she yeah. has to go to, and the son's bath in real life is getting her deaths. <laughs> And there's a great exchange uh, with the prostitute where um, she's trying to get into the lady's toilet. Yeah. And then when she finally gets you, she goes, oh, my God, it stinks in here. And Mylene, the <laughs> sex worker, says, it's supposed to, lady, it's the toilet. <laughs> and you've got, well, I suppose you've got the, the poor guy in the, uh, I'm assuming it's a guy, to be honest, um, in the in the full body cast yeah, as well. Yeah, that's funny, yeah. <laughs> Is that um, one of Cagney and Lacey, the wife? No, I don't know. 
Sharon Glassweedy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I like that bit as well. Um, Garrett Morris says, says uh, what's happening, man? What's going down? And a nice little bit of, of George Carlin in this. It's always nice to see George Carlin in, in anything, to be fair. Um, yeah, he's kind of playing a bigot, but he doesn't realise he's a bigot. Yeah, he's, you know, he keeps asking everybody if they've seen a tall blonde black chick around here, including the tall blonde black chick that he's he's, he's trying to find. Um, yeah, and and obviously the Marlene, the, the the sex worker. Yeah, she's well. As I say, um, that was that was Joel Schumacher's kind of initial inspiration for the film, and I think she's a very important character. She's kind of sad, invisible woman. Because um, she just sort of. Toddles off in the end, doesn't she? If I remember right, is it? Does she? Well, yeah. The last shot is her just walking past the office, ready to start her a bit and evenings endeavours. Yeah, and I, I was sort of thinking, and I think it would have been a nice ending, really, if she just got back in the taxi. That'd have been a nice sort of, you know, a rubberous sort of end to the story. She just gets back in, and he's doesn't realise it's the same person, kind of thing. That would have been quite fun. Okay. <laughs> Just to to sort of backseat drive on the on the film. She has sex with hippo. Hippo, yes. Nobody gives good customer service like somebody who's just been serviced himself. <laughs> I love hippo. He's a massive guy in this tiny motorbike. But he's that because he drives past her at the at the end as well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't even notice. You know, that was um, the wife of the director, Michael Schultz. Right, okay. And apparently she was harassed on the set by um, the local uh, sex workers who thought she was invading their turf. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you something else. Something that Car Wash doesn't have, just like Clerks doesn't have. There's no X-Files connection. The the two, two movie jewels that we've had... That haven't had X Files connections talk when have been yours. I'm not doing that on purpose. I, I like old films. I'm sorry. But the stickler that I am, there's a very loose connection. You know, we're going what one, two, two degrees away from two degrees of the X Files, I suppose. Uh, so Brooke Adams, who who appears in uh, the TV version of this film, along with Danny DeVito, as I understand. Um, Brooke Adams uh, is married to Tony Shalhoub, who uh, uh, was in the episode Soft Light uh, from season two of, with uh, a man who had uh, a shadow that was a black hole. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I really remember that. But you do see her, so if that helps, um, when TC uh, uh, finally gets to make the phone call to the, the uh, radio station, um, she's the woman he, he zips in front of her to get to the phone. Right, but it's it's pretty yeah it's pretty sketchy, isn't it? The wife of somebody who had a role. Yeah, yeah, that's the closest I could find. You need to pick more X Files uh, friendly episode uh, choices next time, Tarquin. <laughs> Wait till I get the French films. Yeah, French films. Yeah, I'm going French. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's definitely another. Um, you know, this was another uh, one of your choices that I hadn't seen, but I will definitely look 
at revisiting it, I think, because it does very much feel like one of those films that you can get something else from it each time you watch it. Good. Yeah, I, I think so. I hope so. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it more than Clerks. Okay, well, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> the acting is so much better in this film uh, in, um, on every level. So I think we have to throw it to the polls again. Yes, I think it is going to have to go to those polls, um, and uh, and we'll see what the what the good listeners uh, think of those. But yeah, anything else you'd like to add before uh, we start to wrap up? So much, but um, yeah, quick shout out for Justin and Loretta. Um, that's like a kind of soapy um, element to the story where this couple were a bit, a bit like um, clerks, really. Um, the the girlfriend wants him to go back to college, and uh, yeah has a bigger plans and then you've got to mention the soundtrack it's a fantastic soundtrack so um i've got a bit here the film has a godlike score produced by soul legend norman whitfield and featuring rose royce and the pointer sisters norman whitfield gets two mentions in bob dylan's the philosophy of modern songbook if you check his wikipedia there's an incredible list of the songs he's produced five different real los angeles disc jockeys provide an omnipotent narration that somehow mirrors the on-screen action much like the Warriors, Do the Right Thing, American Graffiti, and Vanishing Point, the radio is an integral part of the characters' lives. Mr. B demonstrates the folly of trying to prevent the men from listening to it. Norman Whitfield and Rose Royce had the script and visited the set during production, and some of the completed songs were played during filming. TC and Mona sing along to their respective themes. There's a clever integration of songs and action. Uh, zigzag fits with Calvin skateboarding, Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is goes with Marlene and hippo's business interaction i'm going down fits with sad marlene being blown out by the mysterious joe on the phone not just as a crude sexual pun but as an evocation of her mood i want to get next to you fits perfectly with tc entering the cafe to chat up mona the lyrics spending my dime wasting my time talking to i'm black and blue harking back to him calling from the phone and getting nowhere and the lines my money is low and i know that i can't get take you to the fancy places you might want to go describing the financial issues that imperil their relationship the one overtly scored musical moment in the film is when the Pointer Sisters sing You Gotta Believe Something, a magnificent deconstruction of Abdullah's neurosis and arrogance. He's unhappy with himself, and rather than accepting this and working out what he needs to fix, he externalises and blames everyone else for his problems. Still, he's bang on about Daddy Rich. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think it is a great soundtrack. And, you know, it surprised me watching some films sort of quite recently and obviously night shift that you brought up um before you know having its own sort of the you know you think sort of theme tunes to films are, are a more modern um you know invention or sort of through the 90s and and stuff but you know even as far back as i watched in the heat of the night um a few months back and even that's got a theme tune to it it's you know yeah. you don't think of it as Everyone credits it to Martin Scorsese and Mean Streets, but I mean, there are certainly earlier examples. Um, yeah. American Graffiti, Blackboard Jungle, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the soundtrack. It's great. And I was quite surprised actually by the this sort of spoken casting call at the end as well by the, yeah. it's just like the DJ doing the, you know, telling you who was in the film and who they played. And I've head. never never seen that before. And it was, I was a bit like, oh, we're going through the film again. But then I realised it was... It was the sort of casting call, which was which was quite cool. Yeah, it was nice touch. Okay, so uh, yeah, so that, that about wraps us up then. 
um, for this time round. Uh, Tarquin, have you got anything you want to plug, anything you want to tell people that they can uh, find any of your work or projects? Um, yeah, my uh, YouTube page, um, uh, link in the description. Um, mm-hmm. If you search uh, Fastbinder 62, uh, Foxtrot, Alpha, Sierra, Bravo, India, November, Delta, Echo, Romeo, 62 um, on YouTube. Yeah, check it out. There's some really cool ones on there. I've watched quite a few of them now. And if you like me and you like a good montage video, they're pretty cool. Um, and, yeah, so that uh, just leaves me to say goodbye and for Tarquin to say... Quick as a flash, no cash, TC.